Jeep Adventure Days is going on now. Hurry in for great deals on a great selection of Jeep brand vehicles. Now get 10% below MSRP for an average of 6903 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Wrangler 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 6903 average based on 10% below average MSRP from all 2023 Wrangler 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery by 10-2. Jeep is a registered trademark. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 5.50% APY on an 8-month CD special or 5.00% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. Welcome to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and equipped through this podcast as we have conversations with friends from around the world. You can subscribe to our podcast and go to our website, firebornministries.com, and sign up for our email list to stay up to date on Fireborn Ministries. And may you have your own adventures in the Spirit. And now we hope you enjoy today's podcast. This is Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky, and I am so excited for what God has in store for for you during today's broadcast. I want to encourage you to please feel free to share this. It's a very important message. This podcast is going strong on the Charisma Podcast Network. I recently started live streaming it simultaneously and then sending the audio to the Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky podcast. You can find that on Apple, on Google, on Spotify, on the Charisma Podcast Network. So please feel free to subscribe and share that message. Before we jump into today's topic, I've got a special offer for you. It's my Spirit Empowered Journal to know and learn how to study the scripture using a biblical study system with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So here's the Spirit Empowered Journal. The Spirit Empowered Journal offers you life-changing steps that will enhance your biblical and devotional studies. This journal will not only help you know how God spoke in the scripture, but also how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. This is an incredible, innovative approach to Bible study that will empower your spiritual journey, your one-on-one mentoring relationships, and your church small groups. Get your copy today. That was the Spirit of Power Journal. The links are provided for that. And also feel free to get the free e-course, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit, on charismacourses.com. But I'm so excited for today's special guest. We're talking about things that we haven't talked about on this podcast before, but I think it is very important to understand. We've got Gary DeMar, who is a graduate of Western Michigan University and who earned his Master of Divinity at Reformed Theological Seminary. In 2007, he earned his Ph.D. in Christian Intellectual History from Whitefield Theological Seminary. He's an author of countless essays, news articles, and more than 30 book titles. And I'm so excited to welcome Gary DeMar to Adventures in the Spirit. Hey, Gary, welcome to Adventures in the Spirit. Good to be with you, Jared. Hey, it's our pleasure, man. We've got a very important topic today, which I'm very excited about. Uh, And I think it's very relevant to the times that we are currently living in. There are a lot of people looking into eschatology or the study of the end times. And we've had this pandemic. We've had riots. We've had social unrest and more as the media has highlighted and exploited a number of these things. But we've seen these things before. 
Y2K, Iraq, Iran, the Soviet Union, uh, terrorism. And I served in Iraq and Afghanistan. We've seen the swine flu and, and there was even the secular Mayan calendar. Like those times, many people are saying that the end is near, the rapture is coming. But Gary, I would love for you to tell us what the Bible shows about the rapture. Well, the first thing is, you're right, there's been a long history of prophetic speculation. In fact, we published a book in the year 2000 called The Day and the Hour, which was a 2,000-year study of predictions made by Christians using the same Bible verses that, that Christians use today on the topic. Uh, this was really ginned up in the 1970s. I became a Christian in 1973, but in, in the 1970s, the late great planet Earth book came out by Hal Lindsey. And think about that. That was uh, 50 years ago. And in that book, Hal Lindsey made a prediction about the rapture. The rapture, for those who don't know, is supposedly the church is going to be taken off the earth prior to, in the middle of, at the end of, or right before the wrath of God is, 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 is poured out, before a, a seven-year tribulation period. And Hal Lindsey had written that, uh, based on Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place that this would take place within a 40-year period, beginning to do the counting from the time Israel became a nation again in 1948. So you had 40 to 1948, you get 1988. And here we are, what is it, 32 years later, and we'll st we'll, we're still here. Um, and so there's been, a, as you know, and as maybe a lot of people don't know, there's been a lot of speculation, prophetic speculation about the end times. And um, I think it's done two things. Number one, it's called the, the authority of the Bible into question as people make these predictions. And number two, liberals have used this in order to dispute the authority of the Bible because there are certain things in the Bible that Christians get wrong and use those as, a, as an argument for, for the authenticity of the Bible. Yes, sir. And, and so when it comes to the rapture, people will quote what the Apostle Paul said you know, about the, the coming of the clouds and, and things like that. And I think a lot of us, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, almost 40 years old and I'm very familiar with the Left Behind series and, uh, you know, read them. But I think too often we have a lens that we look through. We, we look at scripture through what has already been trained to us instead of looking at biblical principles. Like, sure, like even in Bible college, I was taught uh, pre-trib, pre-mill, most of the other views were, were kind of set aside, you know, but but in time, I, I start looking and, and getting more tools of study and trying to take off my social lenses, my cultural lenses, the, the, the ways that I was taught in, you know, and so then I start, you know, you, we have to compare scripture with scripture. Exactly. So yeah. in context, what is Paul saying about coming on the clouds, you know, what, what is, when everybody reads that, they, they think of the rapture, but can you unpack that for us? Yeah, the, it's, it's a very common uh, uh, phrase. It's out of the Old Testament. If you look at, um, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 19, you find that God came on the clouds to Egypt and all the, the idols trembled at his presence. And yet in that context, Jesus, uh, God didn't physically come on a cloud, it got off the cloud, and the and the idols trembled. Cloud language is often it's 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 one of two things: it's judgment language coming on the clouds, or it's uh, language related to enthronement. 
like in Matthew chapter 24, 30, where it says Jesus, you'll see Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven, etc. And that same is same phrase is used in Matthew chapter 26 before the high priests. But if you look at the direction of that cloud coming in Matthew chapter 24, 30, it's a direct quotation from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where the Son of Man is coming up to the Ancient of Days. So there are actually two comings in Matthew chapter 24. One is a judgment coming. Jesus will come like lightning. And I believe that refers to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, because uh, verse 34 says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And Jesus was referring to that generation. And it was a vindication of his enthronement and all the work that he had done. So uh, this idea that, like, say, uh, chapters like Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21 refer to something in the distant future, they actually refer to events in that, that particular generation. Now, you mentioned 1 Thessalonians 4, and that's a, that's a difficult passage. But it has nothing to do with the rapture. You have to remember, the rapture is supposedly... The church being taken off the earth. You mentioned pre-trib rapture, which is the most popular mm-hmm. left behind series. And there isn't a single verse in the entire Bible that says that the church will be taken off the earth prior to a seven year tribulation period. It's not there. First um, Thessalonians chapter four says that we will always be with the Lord. But according to the, the pre-trib uh, theory, your church is taken off the earth. There's a seven-year period. The Antichrist comes on the scene. The temple is rebuilt. Animal sacrifices go on. Two-thirds of the Jews are slaughtered in Israel. Then Jesus comes with his church. None of that is found in First Thessalonians chapter 4. So the whole rapture doctrine is, is kind of uh, collated from various portions of Scripture, and yet there's not a single passage in the, in the, in the entire Bible that says that the church that the that the church is going to be taken off the earth either before, during, or after a seven-year period. It's just not there. It's all based upon Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. But then you got to create a gap between the 69th and the 70th week of nearly 2,000 years. It's a pretty convoluted system, but it's the most popular one out there today. Yeah, it is the most currently popular system, but every view, one way or another, whether it's uh, premillennials millennialism long word, post-millennialism, amillennialism, they've all had their heyday or popularity for the times that they were in, uh, which is very interesting. Or, you know, and why do you think that system uh, is the most popular currently? I, I think it has something to do with um, people are looking for solace. They're looking for uh, comfort. Uh, they're looking for a way out of trouble. And for a, a, you know quite a few years, I mean, certainly in the 20th century and into the 21st century, when you hear of you know, wars taking place and you, earthquakes taking place, uh, you know, famines, uh, unrest here and there around the world, which, by the way, has happened, have happened in every generation, someone comes along and says, you know, uh, you can you can avoid this by putting your trust in Jesus. And when Jesus, when all these things are about to take place, Jesus is going to return and take you to heaven and you won't have to, you won't have to experience all of this. I mean, that's a pretty good, you know, selling job. I mean, I I would like to avoid 
uh, you know, tribulation and having my head cut off or whatever the case might be. But it gets a little tiresome after a while, after 170 or 180 years of people saying, well, all the signs are, are indicating that Jesus, Jesus is coming is near. He's going to take place in our generation. And I mentioned that the late great planet Earth came out 50 years ago and, and made it, attempted to make the same kind of case. And here we are 50 years later and no rapture has taken place. Right. And uh, this, a lot of people have tried to predict different years, you know, like I'm a, an Iraq and Afghanistan war veteran. And I remember when I was younger, Desert Storm maybe being the end at that time. Uh, you've got this great uh, chapter or in, in about rapture fever is what is title. And you talk about people reading the news and then kind of throwing the news into their biblical interpretation. And people are still doing that now. Uh, and the media is also probably a part of it because they're exploiting or even, I would say, puffing numbers, you know, things like that, you know. But um, we need to interpret scripture with scripture. And a new, most recent recycled topic that I'm seeing is talk about the mark of the beast. And we need to, you know, again, let scripture interpret scripture. What does the scripture show about the mark of the beast? I mean, people are saying it's an RFID chip. People are saying it's a tracking device on your cell phone. Uh, what, is the, what does the Bible show about the mark of the beast? You know, I always tell, tell Christians, and you've said it a number of times, you have to use the Bible to interpret itself. If you want to know what I believe, read my stuff. If people want to know what you believe, listen to you and read your stuff. If you want to know the works of Shakespeare, read the works of Shakespeare. If you want to know what the Bible says about something, use the Bible to come to that conclusion. So the idea of marking, does the Bible have anything to say about marking? Yes. Book of Deuteronomy says something about marking. Uh, Ezekiel says something about marking. In fact, if you look at, at Revelation chapter 13, there's the mark of the beast. But then you go to chapter 14, and there is... It doesn't use the word mark there, but then there's the, the you have to have the name of the, the lamb uh, marked on you. Mm -hmm. So chapter 13, there's a mark of the beast, and there are actually two beasts in the book in Revelation 13. And then there's the mark of the lamb in chapter 14. So if whatever the mark is in chapter 13, wouldn't we expect this to be a, the, the same kind of mark with the mark of the lamb? So are we supposed to expect that the mark of the lamb, you're going to have a RFID chip in you, or you're going to be, uh, and we would say absolutely not. We need to let the Bible determine for us. So to be marked means to show allegiance to a particular person or a particular idea. Uh, and I believe in the book of Revelation, because it was written before the destruction of Jerusalem in 1870, those who were marked aligned themselves for the for the, uh, the the beasts, the two beasts, the Roman beast and the and the land, which is the sea beast and the land beast, which was was apostate Israel. Those are people who identified with the collusion between those two against the church. But those who identified with the lamb are marked with the lamb. And that's it. It's, it has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with the with our time, it's dealing with that particular era. Now, I don't want to dismiss 
a tyrannical government coming in and, and forcibly marking us and, and, and so that we can't do certain things and, and so forth and so on. But when you tie it to Bible prophecy and you do this repeatedly over the centuries, it's like the boy who cried wolf. And then you end up dismissing the reliability and credibility of the Bible based upon that. You don't need specific prophetic passages to determine what's wrong, going wrong in our culture. That there are numerous biblical principles that can set the, the Christian straight on this. And this is one of the reasons I got involved in the eschatology issue, because I believe people who are always living on the precipice of some great end time event are hindered in their effect on the culture and the society uh, because they believe that the end is near for them and there's nothing they can do to change anything. It becomes a prophetic inevitability. Right. And I think that sometimes um, people have, instead of engaging culture, instead of preaching the gospel and being part of its transformation because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I think there's been an escapist mentality. Like, we're all going to be taken away so we could just hide out right now. Um, and then there are, is a lot of alarmism, you know, about it's going to the mark of the beast is going to be this. It's going to be that. I'm confused as to I'm not sure what it is when I when I read it. Yes, there are markings that we all have as children of God. We have a mark, you know, and as as if we don't serve the Lord, we're marked. But we we have salvation, you know, the gift free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, what, what he did for us. But I also know that um, depending on the dating of revelation, just, just seeing that I think most scholarly work shows an earlier date to its writing that changes our perspective completely. If we look at it with the majority view of premillennialism, pre-trib, pre-premillennialism, we think it was in 90 AD. But if we look at it different differently, I think there's a little more scholarship for the earlier date than there is for the later date. And we could see what, what the apostle John was talking about in the book of Revelation and how Nero fulfilled some things about the beast. I mean, am, am I wrong on that? Or am I on the, on yeah. the there's a there's a great there's a great deal of, of uh, study on this and there's a great deal of material on it where many people believe that the number six hundred and sixty six, it's not six six six, it's six hundred and sixty six. Uh, refers to Nero Caesar. If you put Nero Neron Kaiser in the Hebrew letters, which any Jew would have in fact have done. It comes out to 666. They didn't have numbers for Hebrew. They had they used letters, and each letter of the alphabet represented a number. And there were no vowels, so it's it's you just take the consonants. Um, and there's another interesting factor in all this. Remember, there are two beasts. There's a sea land be a sea beast that comes up out of the sea, and then there's a land beast. I believe those two beasts represent uh, uh, first century Rome under Nero and and Israel under Nero as well. And if you go to 1 Kings chapter 10, you'll see there's a description of Solomon and his breaking the covenant regarding rulers. He did, that, that chapter outlines everything that he did was contrary to, to biblical law. But there's an interesting number there. It's, he has 666 shekels, I think it's shekels of, of, of gold. All the other numbers are round numbers. The very next chapter, first, first Kings chapter 11, he marries all these foreign women. And so what you see him as doing is colluding with the nations. 
And the same thing happened in the first century. You had unbelieving Jews colluded, number one, with the Romans in order to crucify Jesus. We have no king but Caesar. And you had, number two, later on, the, 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 the Jews actually working with, with Rome against the church. And it backfired on them. And then you had mentioned the dating of the book of Revelation. If you look at Revelation chapter um, 11, the temple is still standing. John is told to measure the temple. Very first verse in the book of Revelation talks about these things must shortly take place. Verse 3 says the time is near. Revelation chapter 22, 10 says the, 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 the time is near. You, if you really believe the Bible and interpret it literally, that is by comparing Scripture with Scripture, Near means near, shortly means shortly. They, neither one of those words refer to a period of 2,000 years. So the book of Revelation is, is, uh, is, is a description of events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in, in AD 70. The best book on this is by Kenneth Gentry called Before Jerusalem Fell, which is, a, which is a, the, the definitive study on the dating of the book of Revelation. Oh, awesome. And, and you've written books on these top topics. And I've got one of yours called Last Days Madness, which I believe is a great resource for people who are interested in these topics. And when scripture talks about the last days, what does it mean? Yeah, the question is the last days of what? Uh, if you read Matthew chapter 24, the, the disciples ask about the, the, the end of the age. Now, King James Bible and some other translations will have end of the world, but the Greek word cosmos is not being used. The word that's being used is aeon. We get the word eon from that, which is a period of time. And what the disciples were asking, it was about the end of the old covenant age. And so the, the last days refers to the last days of the old covenant, which in fact passed away. That's what the whole New, New Testament is about. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Um, you know, God, God came and under the old covenant, God spoke in, in, um, in one way. But in these last days, God has spoken us through, spoken to us through his son. That's how the book of, of Hebrews begins. And the entire book of Hebrews is about the passing away of the, of the old covenant. You can see this in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, that the, the old covenant is in the process of, 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 of passing away. And it completely passed away with the destruction of the temple because no longer any priesthood, no longer any animal sacrifices, uh, and, and, and no longer any temple. And what the new system, the dispensational system has to do, it has to rebuild all of those things. We need to have a new temple, they say. We need to have animal sacrifices again. Uh, we need to have a new priesthood. And yet there isn't a single verse in the entire New Testament that says anything about a rebuilt physical temple. Uh, Jesus is, in fact, the temple. He is the cornerstone. We are the, you know, the uh, stones built up in him. The New Testament changed all that. That old covenant was swept away. We are now living in that new covenant era. Yeah. Um, we've got a question, someone commenting, how do you interpret the Lord saying, I am coming soon? I think very, that's a great question. Very good question. Uh, the time indicators in the Bible are extremely important. And uh, in my book, Last Day's Madness, and I have another book called Wars and Rumors of Wars, I deal with those time indicators. And so I always say compare scripture with scripture. Get a concordance out, look up what the word near, shortly, and quickly mean, and look at them in other contexts. They always mean near, shortly, and quickly. 
And so I believe that when it talks about the nearness of a prophetic event, you can see this in, in James chapter five, verses seven through nine, the coming of the Lord is near, it's at hand. It isn't referring to what we would call the second coming, which is referring to the judgment coming that Jesus promised would take place before that generation passed away. That way the words near, shortly, and quickly fit the context. You can't take those, you know, I have people quote and say, well, the Jesus is coming soon. Well, that's a that was said 2,000 years ago. And so how is the word soon used in other contexts? And soon and near and quickly and shortly all refer to events that take place, you know, in a, in a very specific period of time. Uh, same thing with the word, with the phrase this generation. Every time this generation is used in the New Testament, it always refers to the generation to whom Jesus is speaking. Never talks about a future generation. If Jesus had a future generation in mind, he would have said that generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Right. Yeah. We're, we're tackling some very tough topics. I mean, 30 minutes is not long enough to discuss all these things. But uh, I think that that was a very great, great question. Um, but there, there, there are some people that feel that this viewpoint that, that we're discussing today, that we're having a conversation about, denies the resurrection. Um, can you expand on that? Can you clarify for people? Because I've seen people say that if we adhere to, you know, what this is called preterism or partial preterism, you know, believing that these things took place for the most part in the first century before 70 AD or especially on 70 AD, you know, does it deny the resurrection? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, uh, it, Paul makes it very clear. Uh, if you don't believe that Jesus raised, was raised from the dead, then our, fa our faith is in vain. That Faith in what? Faith that will be raised from the dead. Uh, the, the Bible is very clear about the resurrection of the dead. That's, that's a non-negotiable uh, item. Um, now, there, there are those within the preterist movement that have a, a different um, interpretation of the timing of when that takes place. Some people believe it's the resurrection takes place at the, the end of, of history. Uh, some believe that when you die, you're immediately resurrected and you get a, a resurrected body. Uh, but the resurrection is a key doctrine. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. And we are, we are above all others, uh, uh, fools of, to, the, to the nth degree. So it doesn't deny the resurrection at all. Right. And uh, the Antichrist, <laughs> like the Antichrist, um, a lot of people read Revelation and because of what they've been taught, especially with popular views, uh, they see the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. Who or what is the Antichrist? What does the scripture show? Well, we're we're back to the to the to the same methodology. What will you use to determine what a phrase, what a what a word means? And I always ask you to uh, define define biblically what an antichrist is. And it's amazing to me that even people who write on the antichrist don't ever deal with the actual biblical definition of antichrist. And here it is. And by the way, the only place you will find the word Antichrist is in two books of the Bible, two short books, 1 John and 2 John. And 2 John and 1 John give the definition. Uh, 2 John 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge 
ultimately is Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So what's the biblical definition of Antichrist? Someone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the biblical definition. And what's happened, we've created a composite Antichrist, taking all the bad guys in Scripture and molding this future Antichrist character. But the biblical definition is someone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now we have to do deal with this. How many of them are there? And the first John chapter two, verse 18, John is writing children. It is the last hour. So now we're back to that, that uh, you know, soon coming idea. It's the last hour. See, John is writing late. He's de um, dealing, getting close to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this, we know that it is the last hour. Then it goes on and says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. So John is saying that the Antichrist, there were Antichrists living in his day, and they were at one time part of the Christian community. Mm -hmm. It's my guess is, and there are others who take the same position, that these were Jews who came in to the Christian community, but rejected it because it would not hold on to the old covenant ideals and, uh, and the traditions of the Jews. They were, they were the Antichrist. They were the ones who denied that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. That was Jesus's argument throughout the gospel. When Jesus declared that before Abraham was, I am, and he, Jesus was identifying himself with the great I am, what did, the, what did the unbelieving Jews want to do? Pick up stones and kill him. So an antichrist in scripture is someone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Where were, when were they? They were in John's day. And what were they an indication of? That the, this, the end of the age was new, was, was, was near, and that judgment was about to come. And you will not find the phrase in the book of Revelation, which is kind of curious. Can you say that last sentence again, please? There's, the word antichrist does not appear in the book of Revelation. And here's another thing. You will not find the phrase seven years, which is the, supposedly the extent of the tribulation in the book of Revelation either. Wow. These are some heavy things which are probably challenging a lot of different people who are watching now, watching later, or listening in later, challenging them. Why do you think people feel that the Antichrist is in the book of Revelation or as a person even? Well, I mean, when you got two beasts, you got the, you know, the beast out of the, the, uh, the sea and the beast out of the lamb, uh, you know, attacking the church. They, they are antichrist. Uh, here's the way I would do it. There are antichrists and those who are antichrist. And I, there's a difference. The biblical definition of antichrist is someone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Someone who opposes Jesus, secularists and so forth and so on, and will, will persecute, persecute them are antichrist. They are anti-Jesus Christ. They're, they're not the same things. I want to stick specifically to what the Bible, how the Bible defines a term. If you believe the Bible and you want to interpret the Bible literally, stick with the biblical definitions and the time indicators. Awesome. Well, Gary, this was an honor and a pleasure to have you on Adventures in the Spirit. Uh, great topics, great conversation, all kinds of different things. I mean, we, we barely scratched the surface on, on these things, on the rapture, on the Antichrist, on the mark of the beast. And I, 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 what is the best way if people want more information and, and they want to 
have dived deeper into these topics, what is the best way for them to get information about you and your ministry? It's very simple, just AmericanVision.org, AmericanVision.org. Last Day's Madness is on there, is Jesus Coming Soon, Wars and Rumors of Wars, uh, lots of articles. If you have questions, you can always ask me questions. I say, look, read my stuff. If you have questions, you know, send a, send an email to support at AmericanVision.org, and I'll do my best to answer, you know, answer your questions. Uh, this isn't a new doctrine. This isn't anything I've created. This is old stuff that's been around for centuries. And all I've done is revived it a little bit. Others have done it as well and popularized it. Right. Well, that was Gary DeMar. Thank you so very much for being on Adventures in the Spirit. I want to encourage everybody, please feel free to share this as, so that other people are blessed and so that other people can look closer and more deeply into the scripture. Gary, thank you for being on Adventures in the Spirit. Jared, I really enjoyed it. Well, we need to do this again. We will. And you took the words right out of my mouth, man. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation in Adventures in the Spirit. We hope that Adventures in the Spirit encouraged and inspired you to press into Jesus and launches you into your own adventure. Subscribe to our podcast and go to our website, firebornministries.com, and sign up for our email list to stay up to date on Fireborn Ministries. And may you have your own adventures in the Spirit. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 5.50% APY on an 8-month CD special or 5.00% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.